NFL Show, part of the Mojo Sports Network. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Mojo Sports AFL Show. I'm your host, Callum Dunk. Joining me on the show tonight is Ash. Ash, how are you, mate? Pretty good. The current winning streak continues, so I can't complain. Uh, of course, you mentioned that. And uh, I was a little bit worried whether this man was going to show up for tonight's episode. Our beloved Crow supporter of the group, Nathan. Nathan, how are you, mate? Commiserations on the Crows. Uh, I've had a few days. I think I've uh, I finally got over it. So uh, we'll, we'll talk it out a little bit later, I'm sure. Yeah, obviously the uh, the goal review or non-goal review um, in Adelaide on Saturday night is our hot topic straight off the bat this evening. Um, what a firstly, it was quite an extraordinary game of football. Sydney Swans had a lead of about 44, 45 points, um, sort of you know, halfway through that third quarter. And Crows were able to just, uh, you know, slowly work that lead back until it was within striking distance. And um, it was a pretty remarkable kick from Ben Keys on the boundary line. Um, but yeah, the goal umpire obviously called it uh, behind and it hit the post when. You could clearly see there was a bit of daylight or a bit of nightlife, I should say, between the the post and the ball. So um, it obviously has massive ramifications for the teams who are, you know, in contention for the eight still. And the thing is, if the Crows win that game, you know, it makes it really tough for for GWS and the Dogs to to make the eight, considering they would have played West Coast. well, they are playing West Coast this week. So if that result had gone the other way, um, yeah, who knows? The, the finals race would have been a little bit more up in the air, which would have been exciting. But at the same time, you know, it is what it is. You know, there's been mistakes in football for many, many years, and some states, mistakes are just highlighted more than others. And this is one of the ones that's, uh, obviously, got a significant impact on the competition and a significant impact on the on the footy club. Being in Adelaide myself, um, there's been obviously been a lot of commentary around the situation, and I do sympathise with the Crows. But at the same time, um, this has happened to a few teams this year. You know, the Cale uh, Marchbank incident. Um, you know, a couple of weeks ago, that could have gone either way. Um, obviously that would have had big ramifications for, for Carlton and some of the other teams fighting to, to get into the eight as well. So a um, lot of calls for from Crows fans for the, the club to take it to higher higher levels, even look at going to Supreme Court and things like that. Some of the commentators have been quite ridiculous and over the top, and I get it, they're passionate for their clubs. And if it happens to my club, I'd obviously be pretty pissed off. Um but I don't think anything's going to change it now. They people can stomp their feet and scream and shout as loud as they like, but unfortunately, it's not going to change the outcome. I'll hand it to our pros fan first of all, um, Nathan. How did you see it all on Saturday night? Yeah, well, look, I think for me, there's probably two avenues to discuss here. I think the first one is probably actually the performance side of things from the Crows. And, you know, they're they're saying, you know, how hard it is on the Crows, which I can understand. But from a performance perspective, as you mentioned before, 44 points down at, you know, I think midway through the third, 32 points down at three-quarter time, and they were nowhere. So, like, you know, if it wasn't for a fourth-quarter flurry, like, you know, they weren't really close to winning. And I think the other thing in, in saying that as well is four goals, eight, 
in the fourth quarter, along with three set shots that didn't even record a score as well. So what's that? Uh, 15, you know, shots on goal that, you know, equate four goal eight. You know, that's quite hard to, um, you know, turn into a victory as well. And I think this is now becoming a bit of a trend for the Crows this year where we've seen multiple times in the fourth quarter where they've either failed to score or um, have had the game lost by inaccuracy as well. So I think it's probably more disappointing from that perspective now, sort of, you know, stepping away from the situation three or four days. And then from the actual decision itself, I think it's, it, it always takes a moment like this to have to change and overhaul the system. Obviously, it sucks that it's happened, one, to my team, but also, two, um, in a situation where the ramifications are so large in regards to not just the Crows, but, you know, two or three other teams making or not making the finals as well. So I, I think as negative as it is right now, it's going to be a positive outcome overall, which is a you know, money invested in something that I think uh, AFL clubs and fans and supporters have been calling for for so many years is, um, you know, a far greater technology system because if I can sit on my couch on a Saturday night and quite clearly tell that it's goal and we don't have, you know, technology in place or, or the right processes in place to be able to overrule an adjudication by an umpire on the field, I think that's when you've got to start asking questions. So, look, you know, at the, at the time it sucked, you know, it still does suck now, but I, I think positive will come from this and I think that's the biggest thing to take from it all is that as unfortunate a situation it is, change will happen now, which I think is a really, really positive for the AFL as a whole. Yeah, you raised some really valid points, Nathan, and the technology obviously needs to get better. And this whole incident isn't about the technology because the technology wasn't used but it's more about the actual processes in place in order to get the decisions correct. And I think sometimes we're very guilty in AFL of wanting that fast, that quick ball movement. And at times it can, I suppose, the, the, act, the score accuracy can become the, the second fiddle in the situation. Obviously, the, the broadcasters want to be able to, you know, get more ads in the game so they're trying to, you know, find ways for scoring and quick ball movement and catching teams out so they can get over the back and all that sort of stuff. Um, there's been a few suggestions, um, and unfortunately it takes an incident like this to have those suggestions in the review about the processes in place. Um, one of the suggestions that I heard on radio, and I thought this was a really great one, find some way to get the goalpost to, to light up um, if, you know, there's contact with the ball on the post, put a sensor in the ball or something like that. So when it does make contact, uh, contact with the post, it does light up. Therefore, if you know it, do, it doesn't um, – therefore, if it doesn't light up, it hasn't hit the post, it's gone through for a goal. Uh, that's one of the suggestions. Um, yeah, but Ash, how do, you, how do you see the whole thing and do you have any suggestions to improve the processes for 24 and beyond? And ideally, I'd like to see some changes brought in for the finals. Like, can they stop the clock, review footage, or if, even if they have to reset the clock to that point in time, like that's a much better outcome to get the scores 100% correct. Yeah, it's a pretty interesting. And I like what you said, Callum, about sort of the goalposts lining up, similar to sort of Big Bash, with the um, you know, wickets 
I don't know the exact technical term, but little bits on top of the wickets. Sort the bales, the bales. The bales that's, what, that's what I'm looking for, um, lighting up when they get hit. So, look, who knows? That could be something. But um, I think Nathan covered it pretty well, and I appreciate you not carrying on like a sook about it. Um, I think I think you handled the, the topics sort of very well. And as you mentioned, I think it's one of those things that um, you need an incident to occur like this to change for change to happen. And I, I find it very sort of hard to see a situation where if there's a 50-50 call like that during the final series or potentially next year or whenever, that it's not going to be reviewed. I, I think it's one of those things that someone makes a mistake, sort of a whole big situation is made up of it, and now it's at the back of everyone's mind. If it's a 50-50 call, review it straight away. So I think I think we're going to be seeing that happen a bit more often. And I think it's hard because you often get sort of the reverse happening where it gets reviewed when it doesn't necessarily need to be reviewed and people sort of get a bit worked up about it. So I think people now that they've seen the opposite side of, of it happening, no review happening when there should be a review. People, the public can sort of calm down about it. The umpires can sort of step up about it. And we can sort of get to a middle where hopefully we're reviewing the things that need to be reviewed at the right time. And so we have those proper processes in place. And I think the whole thing about, you know, like the review system in cricket and the review system in AFL with the score reviews, the reason it was brought in was to get rid of the howler, you know, in cricket. Perfect example, you know, player, you know, thinks that they've absolutely smashed one onto their pad, gets given, send it straight upstairs. And that's why I think I'd almost like it, would like it if, you had one review per game, like outside of the umpire's control. If you had one review per team per game that used for an absolute howler, howler shocking decision. Um, obviously, you'd like to think the technology is just going to get rid of the howler anyway, but just almost as that like that backup system. I don't know. How do you see that one, Nathan? I, I reckon I reckon the solution, and it's been talked about a little bit, and it's used in, I think, Bridgewell Soccer uses it, where pretty much every decision is sort of reviewed by, like, the, the video referee as such. So in, in the example that we saw on the weekend, oh, sorry, actually, let me go back. So every goal is kicked in the AFL is reviewed, right? So the ball can go to the centre square, and we're about ready to go, and the video review says, no, that's actually nicked the post or it's actually gone um, through the behind post. We then take the game back to the goal square and the game restarts as a behind. So the opposite to that is that, sure, Sydney can play on, but in the background, that behind or that decision rather is being reviewed. So there's no reason why 20, 30 seconds down the track, the umpire gets a message saying that was the incorrect decision. We stop the game and it's then called a goal in this situation and we go back to the middle and the time's reset to whatever it is. And that then is the other way of sort of, you know, safeguarding and foolproofing to make sure that we get every decision right and every score is then reviewed. You know the suggestion that I would make for next year following all of this? Instead of having four umpires on the ground, go back to three on the ground, one up in the box. Because I think it's pretty drawn-out consensus that everyone hates the four umpires on the field. So three on the field, one goes up in the box and specialises in being a third umpire, whatever you want to call it, technically the fourth umpire sort of thing, like they do in cricket, um, and you could get some much better outcomes. But I think we're going to leave that topic for now. There's obviously been so much said about it, but Nathan, I very much respect that you're not carrying on like a pork chop compared to Stephen Rowe 
at, at former Adelaide Crow player and, and commentator, just a basket case. Um, but let's move on to another set of basket cases in the Western Bulldogs. And uh, we've been very critical of the Western Bulldogs this year and um, they had all to play for. Uh, they've had two really shocking weeks with a, a loss down in Long. Launceston against the Hawks and credit to the Hawks. I played really well that game. Um, but then again on, you know, Sunday, ugh, didn't even feel like they were really in the contest. Like there were points of the game where they were in front, but I thought West Coast just compared to what we've seen this year, it was a fantastic response, um, especially after the hundred point loss in the, in the Derby. But been a lot of commentary about Luke Beveridge's position, and I think we were all quite critical um, that they re-signed him in, I think it was December of last year from memory, for an extra two years. And we've seen what's happened with Port this year and, you know, just sticking sticking out, seeing how the season goes, waiting till August to make an appropriate decision. And it's obviously worked out for all parties in that scenario, but... Um, if it wasn't for Marcus Bontempelli, um, they would have been, not been in that game. Rory Lobb, we've been very critical of Rory Lobb on this podcast, but uh, he probably played one of his better games for the year. And I just want to highlight how important Jeremy McGovern is to the West Coast Eagles. Um, with him and Barras, you know, fully fit, providing Barras doesn't go to Sydney and have a quick change of heart, but it seems like he's staying pretty put at the West Coast for now uh, with on a long-term deal. but. If those two could be fit for a majority of next year and be able to play together, um, I'm not saying like West Coast are going to make the eight or anything like that, but I think you'll certainly get some a lot, a lot more improved results, and you won't see those 100 point drubbings that we've seen this year. So I'm going to throw it to Nathan again because he is in Perth and he's obviously got the commentary about the West Coast. But one, how do you see it from a West Coast perspective and what's the commentary around Adam Simpson like at the moment? But two, on the flip side of that, how do you see Luke Beveridge? Uh, yeah, West Coast, look, it's a tough season for them. You know, you can always lean back and say they just haven't had continuity in their, their best 23 from week to week. All their senior guys are continuously injured and they're having to play waffle-level guys. So, you know, there's always going to be um, some form of um, responsibility laid on the coach, which is always going to be fair. But, you know, you've got to look at the, some of the teams that West Coast have rolled out this year have just been nowhere near AFL standards. So I think when we come to, at the end of the season, assessing this, West Coast's, um, you know, form, I think that does have to be taken into consideration. And then you sort of see, as you mentioned before, Callum, when you put, you know, Elliot Yo in there for, you know, three quarters of the game until he got injured and Jeremy, Jeremy McGovern back in the back line, Jamie Cripps up forward, kicking goal, sort of, you know, alleviating some of the responsibility and pressure on Oscar Allen. Tim Kelly is then freed up in the midfield. That actually looked like a half-decent football team. And the commentary here, though, is is that Adam Simpson is on thin ice. Whether or not that win has saved him, you know, from being sacked this week or overall, I'm not too sure. I, I, I don't see why he can't not coach again next year. Um, but, again, if this is repeated, then I, I think that's quite obvious. But there's a lot of murmurings around board meetings and board members going to Melbourne and, you know, all that hoo-ha. So, look, you know, at the moment I think he's safe. But, you know, it's a quite a volatile sort of environment over here when it comes to football. So I can very easily see that flipping in a couple of days' time as well. And from a Bulldogs perspective, you know, Luke Beveridge has sort of been under fire 
for a while now in regards to underperforming teams. Now, sure, the Bulldogs have made grand finals and finals for, you know, a number of years now, but they've never sort of, you know, turned into that top four team that I think everyone sort of looks at the list and goes, yeah, that's what they are. I think we're now sort of finally seeing their true colours and we're also sort of seeing a team that I don't feel like is playing for the coach anymore. You look at their list, they should be so much better than they are. Luke Beveridge is, you know, sort of sending out some very weird mixed mixed messages around, you know, the the mindset and the, the readiness as such of a group leading into such a big, you know, period for the club to try and finalise a, a final spot. And I, I think for me it's about time that part ways. He's been in the job for a very long time and, with such a talented list that potentially not make finals, I think that's 100% your cue to go. Who feels that role? I've got no idea, but I think the Bulldogs are very much in need of a, of a reset and a restart with the group they've got. Yeah, I'll throw it to Ash next about his thoughts on Luke Beveridge. And, you know, is it just one of those times where Beveridge has been an outstanding coach, taking them to a grand final? They got drubbed in that grand final, but a grand final is a grand final. They got that premiership in 2016, but as we remember, we think of 2016 like it was yesterday, but it's such a long time ago. It's nearly seven years now since 2016. You know, have we all just kind of drawn back to that 2016 premiership? And it's not the same team anymore. Sure, there are players like Bont and Dunkley and McRae and Libber and, you know, all that, but, you know, is it just end of the road? I think what sort of confirmed to me that Beveridge wasn't the right coach for the Dogs was before the game, actually. Um, He he came out and said, um, I'm on edge about how the game is going to start, and I think the boys are are too, or or something along those lines. And that, to me is a completely wrong mentality which you want to be having when you're playing, you know, one of the worst teams this year. It's almost like he's gone into the game thinking that they're going to concede the first few goals and and that's what ended up happening. So I I think Nathan probably summed it up really well and I agree with Kane Corns as well. We're probably saying with the list that they've got at the moment, they're underachieving and I think part of that also has to do with, um, I spoke about last week, about the sort of bottom six to ten players at each game day, which which just are not contributing to the level which they need to be to support those sort of top-end players, which we've mentioned. So I think it's both an on-field and an off-field issue, but I don't see Luke Beveridge as being there the next time when now uh, the doggies win the flag or at least go deep into finals. The only thing that we talk about with sacking coaches is, is there anyone out there who is better than Luke Beveridge? And at the moment, I can't think of anyone off the top of my head that probably pretty much have to go for an untried person. The only thing I can think of is if Adam Simpson got the chop from West Coast, whether uh, the dogs could go out and get someone like that. And I feel like he's... Simpson's game plans and styles could potentially suit a Western Bulldogs who are generally got some really good kickers off halfback in Bailey Dale and, um, you know, Caleb Daniel, Ed Richards. Um, you can definitely tell that they've got a lot of pieces of the puzzle there, but even things for me, like there was a stat that I heard on radio or actually, sorry, it was on footy classified last night, 
Bailey Smith has played 44% midfield. When you lose a player like Josh Dunkley to another premiership contender, you think someone like Bailey Smith, you know, who was in the same draft as Rosie, Butters, Walsh, and all those three players are prime midfielders for their clubs at the moment. So um, there's obviously been a lot of talk about someone like Bailey Smith and whether he stays or goes, but uh, I reckon if they don't get into the eight, I think he's done personally. Um, it would be very interesting to see, considering they'll play a pretty undermanned Geelong. It looks like Hawkins and Cameron aren't going to be playing this weekend. But I tell you one thing: I really hope they don't make it. They don't deserve to make it. Um, GWS have, you know, shown for a consistent period of the season in the in the back half of the year that you know they can play finals football. They can challenge. Um, so it's going to be really interesting to see how that goes and. You know, um, I feel like a lot of dominoes are going to fall within the next week and a lot's obviously going to depend on round 24. We've covered the Western Bulldogs being a basket case. We've covered the goal review. The other thing we need to cover is Damien Hardwick signing a six-year deal with the Gold Coast Suns to become their head coach. And uh, I think well done to the Gold Coast Suns. They sought their man. They went out. They got him. Kind of reminds me of North Melbourne's approach to, to Alistair Clarkson. Uh, a single mind focus, I suppose, to to get who they want. And I don't think that Damien Hardwick's going to instantly, you know, turn this club into a powerhouse going forward. But I still think there'll be a 12-month period where he'll want to get all of his ducks in a row, I suppose. But then I reckon after that first year of his contract, it's, you know, pushing, properly pushing for finals. Next year, they obviously need to push for finals. just with the way that the club sits and their history at the moment. But um, there's been a lot of talk about Dustin Martin going to the Gold Coast Suns and all that. But, Ash, I'll throw it to you first this time. What's your thoughts on Damien Hardwick signing that six-year deal and um, how much respect does this give the Gold Coast Suns and the rest of the eyes of the competition? I honestly hate it from sort of Damien Hardwick's perspective or not like I can speak for Richmond fans and I'm sure that they would be sort of very grateful for the three flags and everything. But I was very skeptical when Damien Hardwick originally stepped down eight weeks into the season, I think it was. And and it seemed sort of uh, like he'd just given up almost. And, and it didn't feel like the right thing to do, especially with how hard Richmond went into sort of that trade period. And this was meant to be their last push for the flag and he didn't even see out um, until the buy, and then once the rumors started swirling about him being interested in returning to coaching and everything, it just seemed very, very off. And it sort of makes me wonder if Damien Hardwick, you know, probably would have been better maybe taking an extended break like Alistair Clarks and then returning to Richmond. But then clearly he doesn't sort of value his time at Richmond or have high hopes that he's going to do anything valuable there so he goes to Gold Coast so it all just seems very weird to me and like I mentioned I mean Richmond supporters would be happy for the three flags but it just seems like a very odd way to depart and I'll probably have a bit of a weird feeling if my coach left at the start of the year to say he was burnt out and wanted to retire only for it to last a few months and then he joined a rival club you know soon after so look good on the Gold Coast they got their man Finals should be a, a lock, a, a must. It, it's a minimum expectation next season. You've got one of the best coaches in the last 
10 years or if not the best. You've got multiple, I think they've got three sort of uh, academy prospects in the top 10 to 15. So they're not going to make an immediate impact, but they're going to sort of provide some selection headaches, some depth, and finals is a minimum. It must happen next year. And if not next season, then when? I honestly cannot see anything happening. You know, good it has to happen. Do you feel like, Ash, I'll throw this back to you again. You talk about, you know, um, Hardwick leaving and then, as you said, three-month holiday, obviously nicked off to, to Italy for a, a fair while. Jeez, I'd love to leave my job and go for three months to Italy. But um, do you feel like this was all kind of murmuring in the background, like even earlier than Stuart Dew's sacking? Or like, do you feel like this has been in the background for a while or do you just think it's just the way the dominoes have fallen sort of thing? No, I, I definitely think so. And I, I think um, there are even rumours that sort of came out after Damien Hardwick had stepped away that um, that Carlton had sort of reached out to Hardwick uh, during the preseason, before the season had even started, to see if he was interested in sort of coming across sometime in the near future, sort of a, a director of coaching, sort of head of football, Alan Richardson's sort of role from the Saints um, at Melbourne now. And obviously a few clubs or Carlton or who knows in the rest of the AFL knew that something was sort of brewing in the background. I think Hardwick said himself that at the start of the season, he felt like it could have been his last year before he had even started. So I think something was definitely in the works before Jew was sacked and maybe long before the season has the season had even started. So it's a very weird thing to me and it sort of shows sort of how you know, the AFL and corporate world can sort of work in the background in a very secretive sort of manner and sort of manipulate how the public can sort of perceive things. So I think something sketchy definitely went on. Yeah. And Nathan, do you have any additional thoughts to add to what we've been talking about in regards to Damien Hardwick? Oh, I think it was no surprise the appointment yesterday. It was, all, it was always going to happen. It was just a matter of time, I think. And I don't know, I'm probably a little bit more like, you know, standoffish and, you know, sort of saying, oh, Gold Coast must make finals. You know, and Damien said it yesterday in his um, in his press conference that he's, he's not the messiah and, you know, it took time when he took Richmond over as well and, you know, there was always murmurings of him getting fired and losing his job before they ended up becoming the team that they did. And we've, seen, we've seen it before, good coaches, you know, potentially good lists as well. It doesn't always mould. So I think there's got to be an element of buy-in from Gold Coast as well. I, I do, though, think the upside is that Gold Coast now potentially does become a destination club. Obviously, we know Gold Coast, the location, but now you know, adding that sort of, you know, um, lure of Damien Hardwick, does that make the Gold Coast Suns uh, an attractive to play for or want to go to now. We've, we've seen fleeting players sort of go, you know, Gary Ablett back in the day and you know, a few other, you know, signings, but nothing to this level. So I think it does sort of create some excitement for Gold Coast um, going forward. But whether or not it's finals or not, you know, it's a talented list, but, you know, he, he's got to sort of implement his game plan and make sure the players buy into it as well before we can sort of start anointing them as musts or needing to make finals or will make finals, I think. Yeah, well, it'll be very interesting to see how active the Gold Coast Suns are in trade period, whether there's any sort of last-minute, you know, uh, heroics to try and get some some new players in. But we know we all know that they're going to be trying to 
um, get as many academy points as possible to to match the the players in the. I think there was four from memory in the top twenty as well. So you know, if you add four top twenty picks to uh, what you've already got, it's it's looking pretty good. And you certainly, as we talked about on the podcast previously, like we see the pieces in place with the Gold Coast. It's just about making sure that they can all fit. And I think we've seen in the last few weeks since Stuart Jew's departure, Stephen King's been getting them to play a lot more free-flowing, a lot more handball, quick ball movement. Um, and we've seen some really competitive results from, from the Suns. But let's go back through some of the games from the weekend. Uh, we started with uh, the Brisbane Lions getting an upset over Collingwood, an injured Collingwood lineup, I will say, at Marvel Stadium. Richmond did what they needed to do against North Melbourne and sent off Trent Koch and Jack Brewell in very nice style. The Blues get up by four points over the Suns. GWS, this was a very impressive performance. Um, one, winners by 126 points over the Bombers, so sending them out the eight. St Kilda surprising a lot of people getting a 33-point win, 33 win over the Cats. Uh, the Swans, as we've talked about, get their win by a solitary point over the Crows, lock themselves into the top eight, West Coast by seven points. Melbourne did what they needed to do uh, against a very competitive Hawks. Um, we've talked about Hawthorne's um, improvement in the back half of the year, which is really exciting, and Port Adelaide went over to Perth and uh, got their first ever win against Fremantle at Optus Stadium. So I'm actually really keen to talk about the Giants. Um, I thought that was such an electrifying performance from them. And um, Essendon were very lethargic. Let's be honest about that. But just a really positive story was Jesse Hogan kicking nine goals um, for me. I thought, you know, he's one guy, if they were able to get into September, he could light it up. Um, you know, he wasn't able to play in the, with the Demons in their finals um, campaign in 2018. That's the the finals campaign that Sam Wiedemann really announced himself and Melbourne thought he was going to be the big, the next big thing. But I really hope the Giants could make it. Um, Toby Green is obviously such an electrifying player. They've, Cogs has had a terrific year. Uh, Whitfield's, you know, back just the way that he kicks the ball through the corridor, beautiful use of foot skills. Um, yeah, I, I really like the Giants and I hope they make it. Um, and I think they definitely deserve to make it. Um, over the dogs compared to, yeah, the dogs, not so good. Ash, what did you particularly like from the weekend other than Carlton? Yeah, I like Carlton. Um, I think I think it's interesting what you mentioned with the Giants. So a few results, if they go their way, could see Carlton and Giants potentially playing both in round 24 and week one of finals. Uh, so it's, it's going to be sort of interesting to see if, one team can sort of get the advantage, sort of lose in round 24, but get the advantage over each other in uh, the elimination final, similar to sort of the drawn uh, grand final replay in 2010. Uh, I think, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm a bit scared of the Giants, um, but I think it's good that Carlton have a fair few players coming back this week, Chera, Walsh, McGovern, Kennedy, um, so, yeah, the other team is Hawthorne. They continue to impress. They've sort of gone from being a real, you know, bottom four lock to 
playing like a top eight team. You know, they've taken some really big scalps uh, from teams currently in the finals. They pushed Melbourne really hard on the weekend. Uh, Finn McGuinness is an absolute star. Uh, I would love to have – I'm sure every club would like to have someone like him. And, uh, yeah, uh, what do you think, Nathan? Oh, I, I reckon the, the team that surprised me the most this weekend was St Kilda. I am um, I, I, you know, we've had our questions about St Kilda all year. You know, they started off really hot. Five of the first six, their only loss was Collingwood and Gather Round, and they sort of put that game right down to the wire. And they've always been sitting in the top eight, but we never really knew how we felt about it. I think, you know, in a must-win game against a team that was desperate to get the win to keep their finals chances alive, I think St Kilda sort of showed us a brand of football. Um, that has the potential to stand up in um, September, that high-pressure defensive rebounding game. And we, we know they've got their accumulators, Brad Crouch and, you know, Jack Steele in the midfield, Rowan Marshall's an elite um, uh, ruckman. Their backline is a backline of nobodies, really, or like no namers as such. They're not the sort of guys that, you know, we're really familiar with, but their system that Rothstein has implemented from a defensive is now flowing forward, and I th- then I think the impact that Max King can have on a game. Now, I'm not going to compare him to Charlie Kerno because that's not fair to Charlie Kerno, who's going to win his second Coleman in a row. But I think Max King sort of has that presence about him, where he's that lead up forward. He's got you know he's got a really good field kick. He's obviously had the yips from set shots over the years, but that's improving as well. Um, and he then has the ability to take really big back marks. And I think three goal three on the weekend, we sort of saw what he's capable of with the delivery that he gets. Um, so, you know, I think St Kilda was a real upside sort of story for me. They've locked in their final spot. They're likely looking at a home final against Sydney maybe. That might change. But, you know, that surprised me. Um, and I'm sort of glad to see that St Kilda sort of put to rest the fact they do deserve to be in that top eight, I think. That was that was a really pleasing performance from me on the weekend. And I suppose the, the one that's going to have – some pretty big ramifications is uh, Brisbane winning by 24 points over Collingwood on Friday night. Granted, Collingwood did not have Dugowie, Moore and Dacos, who are three of their top five players. Let's go with that. Um, I still don't feel like their forward line is functioning as well as it possibly, ha- uh, well, could be, I should say. And they just looked a little bit slow for leg speed in the middle. And not that, you know, Brisbane are a particularly quick team um, in the midfield. I wouldn't say like Lockie Neal or Josh Dunkley have electrifying skills in terms of pace. Um, but, yeah, it just it just shows that Collingwood are beatable. You know, we've seen Port Adelaide go through their little lull period. Uh, we're seeing Collingwood go through it now. But I think this is the year that the pre-finals buy has a bigger impact than ever before. Uh, we talked about Collingwood's injury list. Brisbane are pretty healthy at the moment. Um, Port are going to get a few back with their pre-finals by. Talk about Trent McKenzie, Charlie Dixon, Scott Lysett. They'll be back for the first final, all three of those. Uh, Melbourne are pretty good on the injury front. Uh, as we mentioned, Carlton are going to be introducing a few players this week, but how many is too many to bring them all back? Um, as we've talked about on the podcast previously. Um, yeah, St. Kilda are relatively healthy. Swans only missing a couple. And, yeah, who knows, out of GWS and 
and the Bulldogs of which one gets in. But I think that's going to be really interesting to see how that goes. Uh, any other particular things that we'd like to talk about from the weekend, Nathan? Well, I think probably the, the only other talking point, you sort of mentioned the Collingwood-Brisbane game, but I think the importance in Brisbane winning that now is there's a chance that Brisbane don't play in Melbourne again until the 30th of September, which is grand final day. Now, we sort of talked about how dominant they've been at the Gabba all year. They haven't dropped the game and they sort of improved their form on the road. I think the important thing here, though, is a qualifying and potential, potentially preliminary final at the Gabba. Um you know, we've sort of seen over the last couple of years they have sort of slipped and, you know, uh, dropped a couple of games that we probably thought they were going to win in finals. Um, but this is priming as a really, really big opportunity for Brisbane to, to at least make a grand final now. Um, you know, potentially Port Adelaide or Melbourne first week of finals and, you know, they've beaten both those teams this year. Um, at the well, was, uh, well, no, they, have they? I'm not too sure, actually. Anyway, um, definitely been Melbourne at yeah, the Gabba, yeah, uh, but they haven't played Port at the Gabba this year. They played at Adelaide Oval in round one. Yeah, that's right. So, but look, you know, regardless, you know, I think Brisbane's now set themselves up to, to have a real good chance of making a grand final, and I think that's potentially a talking point that's been missed um, from the weekend as well. Yeah, and anything else, Ash, that you'd like to add? No, I think you guys have covered it pretty well. It's getting to that point of the year. Trade season is going to be upon us very quickly, and we'll be covering that here on Mojo Sports. Uh, I love the trade period. You know, I love the the idea of free agency and getting more players moving. And I'm a sucker for trade radio when that come comes around. Um, I listen to that thing constantly. Um, but there are a number of players who are on out either out of contract, contracted. Uh, but one of those pre-agents, so the clubs really want to try and cash in. Um, So we're going to list off a few names, and we're basically all going to give their opinion of stay or go. And if we say go, we're going to say which club they're going to uh, venture to. First one, Brody Grundy. Now, this could be very interesting considering that uh, Tom Hickey announced his retirement today from Sydney and obviously Port Adelaide and Geelong have been in the mix as well. So, Ash, stay or go? Go, I reckon. And oh, I haven't given me uh, a lot of opportunity to think about it, but I reckon I reckon he goes to either Port or Sydney, like you mentioned. Nathan? He goes, I think he's going to go to Geelong. Wow. Really? Okay. Yeah, I think Geelong had the they, they need a ruckman. That's true. John Segler also announced his retirement today. Asaba Radagalia. Ash. Go. And I mean, all links are sort of pointing towards Port. I'm not sure. Yeah, who Port, it is. Port and Hawthorne are the two with the offers at the moment. I reckon Port needed more. Nate. Yeah, he goes. Um, look, I'm trying to. I'm trying to think of a club to throw up. But look, he's been rumoured to poor. I, I don't see a world where he doesn't not end up there if he leaves Geelong. Yeah, I will say both Brundy and Asava Radigalia will end up at Port Adelaide, and it will be very interesting to see uh, what's the salary arrangement if uh, Grundy does decide to move. One of yours, Nathan, Tom Duday, stay or go. <sighs> 
I think he stays. I, I, I don't. I think the risk in picking up a player who's done two ACLs now—that's a—that's a big risk to take on. I think the Crows keep him and they wrap him in cotton wool. Ash. Yeah, I I would have said go, but I I think he stays now for the same reasons Nathan mentioned. I think he's more than likely to stay, and he'll sign a short two-year deal. Um. But if he was to go, I feel like he goes to one of those clubs that's on the rise and can afford to to wait a year. I know Hawthorne was supposedly in the mix for a key defender. Uh, they must be sick of uh, playing frostball. Uh, Darcy Parrish, Ash. I go, and I reckon he goes. Ooh. Pass on that one to come back to me. All right, I'll count. I'll hold you to it. Nathan, Darcy Parrish, stay or go? I think he stays. Um, I, I think he's got a clear role now with Brad Scott. Um, and, and you also think about what, what midfield, if he wants to stay in, in Victoria, is going to be able to house him with the midfield that they've got set up already, I think. I reckon Geelong. Geelong's my bet for him. Okay. Um Norm, well, I actually haven't heard of him being linked to another club, so I'd be inclined to say stay. But if you haven't signed by round 23, 24, um, I'm probably going to say he's go, but I can't say where. Jade Gresham, I think he's going to go to Carlton based on what I've been hearing. Ash. Yeah, that's probably where all reports are. I don't don't want him, but, yeah, probably go to Carlton. Nathan? Is he good enough to even be on an AFL list? I'm going to probably go a different route here. Um, you know, he he can't find a home at St Kilda. And, yeah, look, I, I think he does leave just from an opportunity perspective. Does he end up at like a North Melbourne or a Hawthorne or something like that potentially? But is he even an AFL standard player? That's probably another question in itself. I feel like that's a bit harsh. Um, I think he's had a lot of injuries throughout his career. Um, and I think a fresh start might be able to help him, um, you know, get the get the most out of himself. He's done a few Achilles injuries, which can be pretty tough to come back from. But next one, one of the most overrated players in the AFL for mine, uh, Ben Mackay. I would say go to Essendon. Nathan. Yeah, look, I, I I feel like it's a go. He's already signed a deal. Um, I just hope that North Melbourne don't get compensated. That yeah, pick twos, very uh, overs for mine. That, that's the whole problem with this free agency compensation. It just, I think it should just be on the player and what they are worth at that point in time in terms of a draft pick, not where you sit in terms of the draft order for me. I just hate that. Uh, Ash, Mackay, stay or go? Go and uh, Essen might echo those thoughts. Uh, a contracted player, um, Bailey Smith. There's been a lot of rumours about him um, potentially leaving the kennel. Um, I'm going to go stay for now. If Bev, I feel like he'll stay more if Beveridge went. That's what I'll say. I agree. Spot on. Yeah, new coach, he stays. If it's Bevo... There's been Geelong links, so I reckon maybe Geelong might be a good fit for him a bit younger. 
just with Bailey Smith, what's he worth? Like a pick, is he worth two first-round picks considering he's in contract? Or is he worth maybe one top ten pick and maybe a early second-rounder? I think he's definitely worth a first rounder. He's definitely worth a first rounder, but it's also hard because the teams probably don't know what they're going to exactly get with him. He's been a very hot and cold, hit and miss sort of a player, both on and off the field. So he's definitely worth one. Whether whether he's worth a second first rounder, I don't think so. I think the fact that he's in contract would make him one top ten and one late first round pick, kind of similar to. Almost like a Tim Taranto type, but maybe that pick 12 is like a pick 9, 10, 8, something like that. Um, Matt Crouch, Nathan. Uh, I've got very good word that he will be re-signing with the Adelaide Crows. Really? I'm shocked. He, uh, I think... He's, one, proven himself for the club that he can play in the midfield setup currently, and plus I don't think there's necessarily a desire on his behalf to want to leave South Australia. Okay, and Ash? I'll take Nathan's word for it. But he's a, he's a very good – to me, he's like an older version of Paddy Dow. That's sort of how I see, see him. Sort of has the talent, is sort of – hitting it up at reserves though, isn't getting the opportunity at senior level, is probably not going to be worth as much in the market as he is talent-wise for the existing club. It's better off for Adelaide to keep Crouch. It's like it is better off for Carlton to keep Dow. So I'll, I'll back in Adelaide to keep him. Yeah, I would have said go a month ago, but if uh, Nathan says he'll sh- sign a short-term deal, I reckon I'll take his word for it. Uh, your the one that you just mentioned, Paddy Dow, I will say go to St Kilda. I will say go to the St Kilda or North. Nathan? He goes to North. I think he joins the, the young midfield nucleus they have there. Don't mind that from you, Nathan. Um, another Carlton, Jack Silvani, Ash. Uh, he, he will go. He's done his knee and now will be out for the year again. Um, not out for the year again, done his knee again and will be out for the year. Uh, he will go. Uh, unfortunately, I really rate him. Uh, I think he'll go maybe to Richmond, maybe. Yeah. He, I, I don't see him going to St Kilda um, for the sort of connection with his dad. I think a lot of people are throwing up St Kilda as a possible destination for him. That it's the last place to see him going. It was one of the reasons why Silvani left Carlton. Richmond probably make the most sense of Victorian clubs to me. Uh, I would say Hawthorne out of the, the clubs would be needing sort of like a third um, third tour with Lewis and Kaczynski. Uh Nathan, did I ask you about Jack Silvani? Sorry. Uh, I think, yeah, I think he leaves as well. Maybe a bit of a left centre rogue team that could potentially use him. I don't know, like maybe maybe a West Coast, um, you know, another tall forward and, then, you know, you're not playing Oscar Allen as your second ruck potentially. Um, otherwise, yeah, I think Ash some sort of mentioned. I think Rich is a good fit with um, Jack Revolt retiring, sort of playing that second ball and potentially that, you know, backup ruckman potentially as well there. 
The man who was famous for taking his shirt off on Friday night, Devin Robinson, has an offer to stay at Brisbane. Lucky bucket gained 25,000 Instagram, Instagram followers on Friday night for that uh, shirtless pick, um, but has a four-year offer from West Coast. Um, does have family connections to West Coast. So, Nathan, what's your thoughts? Yeah, it's probably weighing up staying with a successful team or, you know, um, coming home and actually playing. And I think he probably opts into coming back to Perth, joining West Coast and being a part of the rebuild that they'll they'll do because I think he's young enough to be, you know, a key cog in that. Yeah, I'll say go to West Coast as well. I think he slips out of that midfield when Ashcroft is ready to, to come back next year. Ash? I agree, yep. Uh, one who has had a little bit of talk about coming to a Melbourne club, Liam Henry from the Dockers. Um, I'll throw this to you, Nathan. Yeah. I think he leaves. Uh, all, all, like Again, it probably goes back to your Parrish comment before. Um, they haven't signed by now, then... There's got to be a reason why, but I just outside of the last six weeks, he's been nowhere. So I'm not too sure where he would potentially go, but I think he leaves. Um, I'm going to go stay. I don't see there's a club that's like crying out for him. Ash, I, I agree. Uh, I reckon he stays. I don't think he would have too much interest on the market. I think he will sign a short two-year deal. Um, wouldn't take into free agency, but uh, someone who's just done their Achilles a few weeks ago, Chad Wingard, does he stay at Hawthorne? I'll throw this to Nathan first. Uh, yeah, he stays. I think it's probably a Tom Duda situation. Um, they'll offer him a short-term contract, and he's he's got value to add to a young team being sort of a veteran presence as well. Yeah, I'll say stays on a short-term Short-term deal, two years max. Nathan, uh, sorry, Ash. Yeah, I agree. Uh, one from Melbourne now, James Jordan. I'm going to say goes, and I've heard Sydney significant interest, and he's a delisted free agent, so there is no incentive to be able to – if he wants to go, he can just walk out the door pretty much. Uh Ash, your thoughts? Um, I haven't heard about the Sydney links, but I reckon he goes either way. Um, yeah, who knows? Sydney, is he, he's not a Sydney boy, is he? Uh, not sure. Couldn't comment on that, but I also know Essendon do have significant interest as well. Uh, Nathan, James Jordan. Yeah, look, I, I don't know where he goes, but I think he does have to go. He's a young player that deserves an opportunity consistently at AFL level. Another demon who did try to leave 12 months ago, James Harms. I'm going to say goes. I don't know where, though. Tried to get out 12 months ago but couldn't land a home. Ash? Uh, Probably goes as well, I'd say. I'm not sure exactly where. Maybe sort of some of the teams you've mentioned in Victoria, you know, Geelong, Hawthorne, North. Um, potentially Essendon. Yep. Uh, Ruckman now. Last year was Ruck merry-go-round. This year it's going to be key back merry-go-round. But 
Uh, a ruckman who could be in play is Scott Lysette. Now, this will very much depend on what happens with Brundy. Port have offered Lysette a one-year deal, but he wants a two-year deal. Um, if they get Grund, if they get Grundy, I say he goes. Um, Rumours that Collingwood uh, were looking at Lysette on a two-year deal. Nathan. Um. Yeah, I think as you said, it sort of said it depends on what Grundy does. I also just wonder as well what his actual value is if Port don't retain him. Um, you know, most teams are set up with Ruckmans. Does he go back to West Coast potentially? I would say no, personally, considering the time that they've spent in developing Bailey Williams and the potential to recruit Tim English at the end of next year as a restricted free agent. Ash, did you want to jump in and say something there? No, I, I don't mind the uh, West Coast shout, but he, he's definitely sort of well past his prime. I don't think that many teams would be looking at some like him. He doesn't have a lot of value either, so I reckon potentially stays in a short-term deal, and that's probably the end of his career in one or two years. Yeah, well, I can tell you that Lysette is coming off the end of a five-year deal at about 675000 which was a lot to get him out of West Coast considering that they won the flag the year that he left. Uh, Dylan Stevens from the Dylan Swans. I've heard significant interest from North Melbourne. So I will say goes. Uh, hasn't exactly found his feet at Sydney. Former pick five. Um, yeah, Ash. They'll go Dylan Jones, Stevens. Probably North, as you mentioned. See, you can, like, now with all these, you know, potential domino effects that could fall North Melbourne's way, not saying that they're going to skyrocket up the ladder, but you can just see that optimism considering that they're on a 20-game losing streak. Nathan? Uh, yeah, look, again, young fella not getting opportunity, he leaves. Um Look, is there a potential that he goes home to a to Port or the Crows? Probably not. He's likely a Victorian-based club for him as well, I think. It depends what Sydney would ask in return for me. Um, I know Port, like a, someone for Port to play on the, the left side wing, I know that um, there's a few players that could do that. Ideally, they'd like Josh Sin to get over his injury troubles. He's a booming uh, left foot kick um, with Dersma playing on the other wing, but they've got Bergman, they've got Bonner, they've got so many blokes who can uh, fill that role um, specifically. Last one, Sam Flanders from the Gold Coast Suns. I feel like he stays now that Damien Hardwick's there um, and he might get a bit more love from the coach. When Nathan. Yeah, he stays. He's had a really good last month or so um, since uh, Stewie Jew uh, left the helm there. I think there's going to be opportunity for him as well. He's probably a player that fits into what Damien Hardwick wants to do. Very good. Uh, as you talked about, a few retirements uh, over the last few weeks, and we talked about Tom Jonas at the top of the show, uh, John Segler, uh, former Pie, Hawk and Cat, uh, ended up pulling, calling time on his career. The journeyman, Tom Hickey, played for four clubs. Ash, can you name all four clubs? Uh, Sydney, St Kilda, is that Gold Coast and West Coast? Or am I 
Yeah, no, that's 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 correct. Uh, he called time on his career today, so that will obviously make the the Brody Grundy case a little bit more interesting. Um, a few last week as well. Andrew Phillips announced his retirement, and obviously the ones on the weekend with Zebel, uh, Cochin, and Jack Rewalt. And our thoughts go out to to Jack Zebel and his family for the horrible injuries that he sustained outside of a Melbourne pub on Saturday night. It's just horrible. And I believe there were two arrests uh, made with that incident on Saturday night, which is really upsetting. Um, Let's move into AFL fantasy boys. Uh, I know most of us, well, particularly Ash was out of the game a long time ago. So he's just been trying to fill his team with Carlton players, but uh my round 23 score, I'm not going to lie, I had a pretty shocking, shocking round. Uh, I ended up scoring 23-54, which was pretty crappy in the scheme of things. Uh, Marcus Bontebelli was my captain. He got 140, so times two, 280. Uh, my defense was very hit or miss. I had Stewart, Sinclair, and Duggan all registered tons. Sicily, Dawson, or Dawson nearly registered a ton. Uh, Sicily and Lloyd were average. My midfielders were pretty shocking. I traded in Clayton Oliver. He obviously copped the McGuinness tag. I should have known better. Um, Josh Kelly, 85, hoping more for my premiums. Um, Brad Crouch has been a really solid pickup since I got him in. Uh, Royal Marshall, very much in contention for the All-Australian Ruckman, along with Tim English. He got 141. I haven't traded him out all year, and I don't think I'm going to. Uh, he got 129. Zach Butters was pretty solid with 113, and Cogs has had a really good year with 104. Dunkley packed another ton as well. So, uh, unfortunately, LDU was a late out for me, so I had to take Elijah Hewitt's uh, 61 on the pine. Look, not terrible uh, from an emergency, but still not great at the same time. Uh Shout out to Corey Wagner, who's been a really good cash cow um, since he's come back into Frio's lineup. So this year, I'm obviously uh, sorry. This round, I'm obviously going to try and use my cash uh, just to upgrade some some players. Um, not really too much you can do. It's not like I'm winning a hat, so I might just do an ash and try and get an extra port player in against the Tigers on on Sunday. We'll see how we go. Nathan, how'd you go? Uh, yeah, no. Tw- 2,405. Um, I'm just sort of having a bit of fun now. So I traded in some Crows players. So I got in Matty Crouch and Tex Walker last weekend just to make watching the game a bit more fun. Um, and I'll probably That's what the- sports bets for, mate. Come yeah. on. Um, and I'll probably do the same again this week because um, I'll have the opportunity to be at the game and watch them. So I might try and get in maybe Rory Laird and someone else. I'm not too sure yet, but I'll get in a couple more Crows boys to make Saturday night's viewing a bit more enjoyable as well. But, no, I think I'm very much just at the, you know, chuck a couple of trays together and see what happens. Very good, very good, mate. And, Ash, lucky last. How'd you go? Oh, I didn't even look at my team after last week, so um, I don't know if I forgot about it or just couldn't be bothered or just didn't want to look at it because I knew it would be bad. I had a look just then and I scored like a 1,900, so there are a few donuts on the field. Uh, yeah, I think I have like a lot of cash in the bank as well, so I'm probably not even going to make trades for this uh, week either, so close the curtains on my season, prepare for pre-season, and hopefully we win the Hilux in 2024. Ash, where is the commitment to the segment? 
you prepare every week for the Carlton rant or, or the praise now that they're winning. Uh, you've got to have some commitment to the AFL fantasy segment. So this is not good enough from you. You need to lift your game for next year. My bad. Well, hopefully next year I'm actually winning, so it's going to make it a bit more enjoyable. Very good. Uh, looking ahead to, to round 24, the game that's obviously got the most significant ramifications will be the Western Bulldogs taking on Geelong down at the Cattery. The Cats will be without a few players. It looks like Hawkins and Cameron aren't playing. Um, but, yeah, the other game that could be really interesting, well, I really hope it gets interesting, is St Kilda taking off Brisbane. We talked about Brisbane's extraordinary record at the Gabba, but if the Saints can win and Port Adelaide can win, then Port uh, could manage to jump into second. But uh, with the Brisbane Lions in pretty hot form at the moment, I'm not anticipating that anytime soon. And the other game that could have some decent ramifications uh, would be Carlton and the Giants, the last game of the season at Marvel Stadium. So, be really good if the Giants could win this one to just to make sure that of their place in the eight. But um, Carlton are in pretty good form at the moment and didn't play at their best on Sunday against the Suns, but we're still able to to get the chocolate. So, which games are you most looking forward to, Nathan? Uh, probably the last two on Sunday. So the the Carlton GWS game. Hopefully, it's got finals ramifications written all over it. Um, and also the Sydney and Melbourne game because I would much prefer Sydney to win to make sure they truly do deserve to make finals. Yeah, that's fair enough. But I don't blame you for that comment. Uh, and Ash, which one are you looking forward to? And you can't say Carlton outside <laughs> of Carlton. I can't say Carlton, then I'll say Sydney and Melbourne, but also I think that uh, Geelong and Bulldogs has a fair bit of interest sort of uh, for for where the future lies for both of those teams. Geelong obviously coming off a flag, missing finals. And uh, who knows if it's a complete rebuild or just uh, who knows what's going to happen with them and the Bulldogs as well. They're in some, some trouble. So, yeah, they've got a bit of interest. Just touching on Geelong very quickly before we wrap up. I've heard rumours that Chris Scott is on the verge of signing a new two-year deal uh, to take him to the end of 26. Um, so the cats are all the cats are all in on him. Um, I'm not super bullish on them rebounding a massive amount next year. Um, just with you know another year old older, sure they might be able to recruit a free agent here and there to you know rejuvenate a little bit, but. You're not super bullish on what the Cats could do next year. Obviously, when you've got two key forwards in the caliber of Tom Hawkins and Jeremy Cameron, you know, a lot of things are possible. But, yeah, I'm not super bullish on that. I'm not sure whether I'd be doing that just yet if I was the Cats, personally. Thoughts on that one, Nathan, before we wrap up? Yeah, I don't hate it. I think Geelong's had a you know a tough year, injury riddled, um, and then with the potential of sort of getting a couple of, as you mentioned, you know, trades or free agents into the club to sort of you know rejuvenate and keep them relevant. I don't see why Chris Scott doesn't warrant um, continuing to coach the club despite not making finals this year. I think it's just more you wouldn't want another Luke Beveridge situation. They sign prematurely. They have a shit show in their contract year and then you still got them for another two. Like we saw what happened with poor Brett Radden. Um, yeah, you just wouldn't want that to happen again. Ash, final thoughts before we wrap up. Uh, I'll keep it short. I agree with you guys said. So 
Yeah. Very, very good, mate. Such amazing insights from you. But thank you so much to those of you who are listening to the Mojo Sports AFL show at home. Uh, the Thursday night team will be here to preview the upcoming round of footy. Uh, and hopefully we have a lot to talk about on next week's show. So make sure you follow our Instagram at Mojo Sports AFL and uh, we'll see you on our next episode. Cheers.